Hi, I'm with Cassie Kane. Hi, Cassie. Hi. So, uh, Cassie, your expertise is in the use of touch. You come from a background of body work, and um, uh, these days you teach touch, the use of touch, to uh, psychotherapists. So, what's what's with that? Well, I think that there is sometimes this presumption that the touch skills that you need in the context of counseling or psychotherapy are the same skills that you need in the context of body work, which isn't actually the case. Um, And sometimes people are a little concerned about integrating touch not only from the ethical side, but from that perspective of I'm not sure how it is that I'm going to understand what I need to do with touch, thinking they need to understand it at an anatomical, technically correct level. And really, the skills that you need to integrate touch in the psychotherapeutic context are more about how the touch supports the process in which you're engaged with the client. Okay, so in other words, um, uh, when as a psychotherapist, when we hear the word touch, we kind of tense up thinking of becoming uh, something we're not. But what we actually, what you have in mind is using touch to support the process that we are familiar with and, and skillful about. Yes, because it's, you can think of it as another form of possible communication. So you have the body language, you have your verbal language, you have eye contact, you have um, therapeutic alliance. All of those things are supporting the process in which you're engaged with the client. And touch is just another potential tool to facilitate something that you're already underway with or that you have a specific idea that you want to enhance the process that's taking place. So uh, is it possible maybe to have some examples of how it works as, a, as another form of communication, another tool? Well, one of the things we can talk about would be the different types of touch that you might use in a therapeutic, psychotherapeutic context that would be, in many cases, quite different than the type of touch you would use, say, in a more body work or physical therapy, repair-oriented context. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some possible examples would be you could be using touch for what you might call containment. So the, the client perhaps is feeling at the limit of their ability to manage the process that has somehow been initiated. And you might be doing something like a gentle contact on their shoulders or perhaps your foot touching their foot or something that helps them kind of ground and contain the process that's underway. Um, You might be using touch as a way, you might call it listening touch, where you're actually gathering information about the somatic expression of the process that's underway. So maybe we can go a little more slowly just um, uh, to make sure it sinks in for people who are not that accustomed to it. Mm -hmm. The first one you mentioned is a sense of containment. So you're sensing the client's activation, agitation, and something as simple as a hand on the shoulder uh, touching the the, the client. Client to uh, to calm down. It could be calming, but also in a way assurance and reassurance that they have the capacity to do what they're trying to do in that process. Mm-hmm. So, if you, for example, are working with someone who's engaged in a fairly dramatic change process and they're beginning to lose that sense of interconnection within themselves. And what you're trying to do is to help them understand where their boundary is that helps them provide some sense of resilience with the 
integration process. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily only to calm them, but sometimes that quality of touch also is an encouragement to say that they're up for the job that's ahead of them. Yes. It have that quality to it as well. Okay. And uh, and and uh, as as you said, this touch is not something that is a technical touch. It's something that each of us is kind of an instinctive thing that we can use and, and feel free to apply in this setting. Yes, and generally that kind of touch you're doing in a part of the body that would be very socially acceptable, that you might find that you have that kind of contact with people you don't know well. Mm-hmm. So the shoulders is a kind of a classical place where even in an elevator someone touches your shoulder to move you out of the way to give you a little subtle indicator that they need to get past you. Most people would find that to be an acceptable form of contact. So it's a very low-risk uh, version of physical contact generally. Okay, so in other words, uh, for somebody who's listening and might want to remember how to use this, a very low-risk way, thinking of touching on the shoulder, just a very simple, basic human contact and helps containment. Yes, could even be something like the back of the hand if the client is resting with their arm on the chair, on the arm of the chair, you might just touch the back of their hand. Usually it's an area of the body that we wouldn't typically have objections to someone touching that we don't know very well. Okay. Then you mentioned another one. Listening. And that is typically a quality of contact that has something you might call invitation or a curiosity where you're using the contact to gather information about the state generally that the client is in, Um, perhaps inviting that state to arise a little bit more has the quality of being rather quiet, um, really focused on what is happening within the client that you are attempting to gather information about. So it's a little bit the equivalent of that um, slightly tension-filled silence that happens when you're waiting for a client to speak something. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit that same kind of quality that translated into physical contact. So in a, in a practical way, what would be an example of that? If I'm really trying to get a sense of maybe the layering beneath that the client perhaps has given a um, what seems like perhaps a simplified, superficial explanation of what's happening, um, a very undifferentiated, um, I'm feeling like I'm buzzing. And I want to get a little bit more information about what might be underlying that quality than having my hands, again, in an area that's acceptable for the client, where I can learn a little bit more about the nuances of that state uh, and perhaps then invite a little bit more of what is in the complexity of it to come to the surface for the client to be more aware of it, for me to be more aware of it, um, to perhaps even verbally ask questions about what else they're noticing. Uh, that would typically be a way that I would be using that kind of contact. So you're gently touching the client, again, in a place that's very uh, acceptable, not to risk, and...
and um, he said it's invitational. So there's something in the in the attitude of the therapist as the therapist does that. That's a different intention or a different attitude. Yes, and very often that's all that's making the difference. Is the physical hand placement may not vary much at all from the outside. It might look as if you're doing the same thing, but again, there's a difference between. A practitioner sitting quietly, just enjoying a peaceful moment with the client as compared to the client being just about to reveal some very deep piece of information. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of expectancy in that field between the therapist and, and the client, and that listening contact has a little more of that quality. You're not, it's not a static, we aren't going anywhere form of contact. It's got a little bit of a feeling of activity within it because there's a quality of I'm inquiring about something and there is likely to be some kind of response from the client. Yeah, so there's a two-way communication there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned other form of contact. So another common version might be um, what's often referred to as inhibitory. And that would be the kind of contact that you might use when you're trying to slow a process. Mm-hmm. And that would be something where you maybe have the feeling that the client is about to exceed their limit of ability to manage the process that's underway. And there's often this little sense of maybe dragging back a little bit. Um, not so much pulling the client back as the contact itself has this quality of dampening mm-hmm. or inhibiting so that the escalation of what's happening is slowed. Um, and that's often where the, the practitioner is feeling like there needs to be a little more external management of what's underway. Mm-hmm. Um, and very typically it's when you're seeing that the client is looking like they're right at the edge of their capacity. So the client is at the edge of their capacity and the therapist does something, this form of contact. What would be an example of it? Well, one of the common ones would be if, especially if they're beginning to escalate up into a physical movement that might move out of control. If they're maybe being flooded by flashback images or something like that, that it starts to feel like they can't even physically contain the, the memory or the rush of feelings that happen. Very commonly there'll be a little bit of pressure, uh, even a little sense of a movement back away from the direction that the person might be escalating into if it looks like they're going to be moving up out of their chair, for example. You might be doing something not that presses them into the chair, but gives them that, that sense of being a little bit slowed. Very commonly with this kind of physical contact, there's also language going with it. Where you say, slowly, slowly, that's it, easy, it's okay. Sort of reassuring and slowing the process, both verbally and physically. So in all these cases, uh, the, the touching is almost, uh, you can think of it as a continuation of the language. Yes, yes. It is. Sometimes it's a substitute for the language. Sometimes it's a, a support where the verbal language is the primary communication and you're just offering congruence with a physical form of communication. And sometimes it's really accompanying it, doing really the same thing. It's an extension of the verbal language. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned in this case that the client, uh, you know, it's a case where you do this when the client is starting to get activated, is starting to, you know, there's a lot of energy going on. 
So one of the fears that people who are not accustomed to touch have is what if the touching itself is actually something that the client cannot tolerate? Well, obviously that has to be taken into account ideally from the very beginning of the process so that there's a clear contract about how touch might be used, the purpose of it. Um, I prefer that there be an explanation of the different kinds of touch that might be used. Um, Typically, once the client is used to the physical contact, then the careful screening of the touch can drop a little bit more into the background. But certainly at the front end of the process, I really think there needs to be clear informed consent by the, the client that touch is acceptable and you might talk as using examples of the different ways that touch might be incorporated. And even in the moment, there may be, again, a sort of an announcement that the touch is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my hand here. I think we need to slow this process down a little bit. I'd like to bring a little physical contact in that will help with that so that you're really doing a sort of continual informed consent and explanation for why the touch is being used. Yeah, and so as you actually do this, uh, maybe that's an added benefit that it might slow down the process for the therapist as well. To, yeah. yeah. And clarify, because really you should be understanding as the therapist why you're using the touch. Maybe not to every tiny detail, because at a certain point, of course, you're going to be responding somewhat instinctively. But you should have some basic idea of why you're using the intervention you're using. Mm-hmm. And touch is the same way. You should have some sense of it so that if the client asked you, why are you doing that, mm-hmm. you would have an answer for that question to some degree. Um, at least the beginning part of the process. I'm doing this now because we need to slow this process down, and I'm hoping this will be helpful. And please let me know if it isn't, and we can do something else. Yeah, so in other words, it contributes to making the project, the process deeper and slower. Yes. So we have an option. Should we continue with other types of touches that you mentioned, or do you feel this is a good introduction to um, to what touch does in, uh, for therapists? Well, I think that the, the, we might talk about one other version of touch, just because it's one that it, it little bit speaks to the question you just had about whether or not the mm-hmm. itself is going to be a little too much for the client. Um, And that's working with touch that's stimulating. Okay. And I really, what I want to do is differentiate between touch that's stimulating versus touch that might be calming or supportive. Is that, again, there's the assumption sometimes that touch in and of itself might be inherently stimulating to the client or overstimulating. And again, getting proficient in the vocabulary of touch in terms of understanding the impact of your touch is one of the ways you learn to not be afraid of overstimulating the client with just basic contact. Because for most people, there is very much a difference between a calming kind of gentle contact and something that is inherently stimulating. Mm-hmm. Stimulating touch usually has movement to it. And you might do it, for example, if the client has dropped into, to say it, um, one of the common ways you might see it if you're working with people with trauma is that they move into early developmental states where the method for coping was to shut down and go into this sort of under-responsive state. And what you might do would be just gently 
really hardly moving but gently moving fingertips, for example, to kind of wake up the process that's happening and get the person's attention, bring them a little bit out of that more shutdown state. Mm. That kind of touch is stimulating, but you're doing it for a very particular purpose. Right. So, but also when we talk about stimulating, uh, it's stimulating within the context of the client being in a free state, yeah. as opposed to something that, to uh, an alert person, might be stimulating. Exactly. Exactly. Or overstimulating because it becomes irritating mm-hmm. um, when they're wanting to be still, and there's this constantly moving stimulus from your hand. Of course most people are going to move into feeling irritated mm-hmm. and that's not the context in which you would use it so it's really again it goes back to making a clear contract with the client and having over time developing proficiency in different forms of touch so that you have a pretty good idea of the effect that they're going to have mm-hmm. because language can also be overwhelming and overstimulating yeah. Of course, one of the things you have to learn as a psychotherapist is when to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Use certain kinds of words and not other kinds of words. Touch is exactly the same way when not to touch, when to use certain types of contact, and when to use a different sort because it fits the circumstances. And that, in fact, helps you modulate whether or not the client will, in fact, be overstimulated by the touch itself. And yeah. some clients, it would be contraindicated. There just would be some clients where you might never be able to use touch or maybe even some practice setting. Uh, but certainly there's some people where touch is not going to be on your list of things that you would do with them. And mm-hmm. there might be people where touch is on the list of things you would do with them very commonly and almost every time you see them. So there's a whole spectrum available. Mm-hmm. So in a way, this brings some elements of answer to the question of um, why, as a therapist, would you want to use touch with clients? Uh Um, And um, I think one of the things you said earlier is that it helps integrate. There's something integrative about uh, touch. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Well, there is, first of all, a form of touch that has a tendency to be integrating, and there's that element of it. But I also think that there is a process of integration that you might say is an integration through all aspects of self, including the physical self. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, I my personal view is that I think we've created a split in the culture that doesn't inherently exist as if the psyche and the body are separate. And somatic psychotherapy is trying to join that and to move past that splitting that's happened in the culture at large and have body and psyche be linked as they inherently are. And I think that touch gives us a further extension of that as a possibility that we really have a way to not leave the body out at all. And I think that's particularly true when you're working with certain types of early developmental experiences where our tactile experience of the world was our primary form of information. So would you want to, do you have an example in mind? Well, if you take a person who has had early neglect and the process of learning to self-soothe was perhaps interrupted because they were isolated. You could have either someone who's in a hospital situation, especially further in the past where we didn't know that babies needed to be touched. Mm -hmm. So perhaps they were isolated in an incubator 
or they had parents who were ill shortly after the, the birth process or separated from parents. We see that in children in orphanages, particularly in countries where they don't have a good ratio between the number of children and the number of caregivers. And perhaps that little baby didn't really get to have the tactile, the, both the tactile stimulation, but also the calming influence of the touch from caregivers. And so they have a system that is not properly regulating because they didn't get the early necessary input into the system about how to self-soothe. And for someone like that, sometimes bringing the physical aspect of that calming, soothing contact is really essential for them to change the way that they're responding to their adult environment, in my experience. Yeah, so that's an experience they haven't had at a young age. So whatever other touch they may have experienced in life, uh, there is that basis of experience as a, as a child that they didn't, don't have. And sometimes, literally, there can be um, a lack of vocabulary about the meaning of touch. And so sometimes you have people who literally don't quite know how to differentiate different types of touch. So they might not be able to differentiate between a touch that's calming or overstimulating. They may be hypersensitive to touch so that all touch in the beginning feels like it's too much. They don't know what to do with that input. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the case of uh, people who have not had the experience of touch as, uh, as infants. What about people for whom, um, you know, that experience has been there? So in what way does the, does uh, touch help the integrative process of therapy? Well, the way that I typically describe it is that it gives a sense of three-dimensionality. Hmm, what do you mean by three-dimensionality? Well, it happens for both the therapist and the client, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. is that um, a lot of people don't have a very deep experience of their physical self. Mm -hmm. Either they're living on the surface or they have certain aspects of their physical self that they really notice, like their muscles because they exercise well or some, some version like that. Mm -hmm. But when you ask them to give any information about any other physical qualities of how they identify themselves at the body level, they can't. They don't, they don't really have access to it. And through touch, sometimes you can invite them to bring presence and awareness and attention to these other, if you want to call them layers, of their physical self and allow the support of their attention and their gathering of information of the qualities that they can notice in those different aspects of their physical self. And often what that does is it deepens their experience. So by being touched, they're able to bring mindfulness, uh, to bring their own inner awareness to something that has been touched. Yes, and that's the interesting thing. Again, when there's proficiency on the part of the practitioner, certain types of touch end up making the client more aware of themselves, not of the practitioner. It's their own internal experience of self. And that, that deepening and the differentiation that they may notice, for example, that their experience of self is different when their attention is in their bones versus when it's in their muscles. They might feel like quite a different person, so to speak, 
that's what I mean by the three-dimensionality. They begin to have this more refined and detailed experience of different parts of their physicality. Yeah. So it's no longer just a surface thing of touch. It's really a question of feeling everything that's inside. And very commonly they extrapolate from that experience to other aspects of, of their life as a whole or their behaviors. They begin to see some similarities between these physical qualities and the way they are out in the world. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that process often happens for the therapist, where they begin to have a sense of knowing other aspects of the client than they may have seen in the other interactions they had that didn't include touch. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is coming from what I hear back from therapists after they've learned to integrate either physical touch or what you might call touch awareness. They have some practice of the use of touch in the classroom setting. They may not be touching their clients in their practice, but they know what the client would feel like if they touched them because they've learned to make the translation between what they're seeing and hearing and what they felt under their hands in the classroom setting is as they move into that kind of depth of touch awareness, they develop a greater proficiency at supporting that, that three-dimensionality. So you're saying that for the therapist, being having the experience of uh, touching, being touched, helps calibrate a way of looking at clients yes. that is more sensitive to what happens inside. Yes. And an example might be a person that came to one of the trainings that I did who was working in the prison system. Mm-hmm. And he was very clear when he came to the training that he was not going to be touching any of the prisoners that he was counseling. But what he reported back as he began to use the awareness that he developed from the classroom is that his understanding of what was behind their surface presentation really changed. Mm. And he started to learn to respond to what he was seeing in their body postures and how they were managing their weight and their facial expressions, the quality in their tissues. It was visible to him in a different way and he noticed that it caused him to respond to them differently, which in turn caused them to respond to him in a different way. And he noticed this quality of deepening of a sense of connectedness in the relationship mm-hmm. without actually using physical touch at all. Mm-hmm. It's, um, so that's, uh, in a way, this is an extreme uh, form of um, touch that certainly people, even people who have either ethical problems or legal problems about possibly touching in their state or uh, could, could do, could use. Right, and, and sometimes the practice setting just doesn't allow it. Mm-hmm. There are certain practice settings where it's just going to be so problematic to try to incorporate it that it's easier not to. And as what the other thing is that there's this whole spectrum of ways to include the body that don't necessarily include touch. And again, having some proficiency in having different tools available can then be very helpful. So perhaps you have a good um, way to track the breath as it moves through the, the different tissues in the body, the different regions of the body, or have ways to have the client move. There's other things certainly that you, that you can do than touch. Mm-hmm. If my preference is that we have more inclusion of touch in the psychotherapeutic setting because I think as a culture we've gone too far the other direction we're prohibiting it 
when sometimes it's really the idea of tools. Mm-hmm. It's always a balance of really what's the appropriate setting and with the right client and the right, um, the right time right. in the work that you're doing. So we've come to, uh, you know, in this conversation to talking about touch where you might actually not even physically touch people. Now I want to go back to maybe the touch that people are more accustomed to, the uh, the touch of body work and uh, the sense of touch as something that helps alleviate pain. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say about that? Well, again, I think that there's different possible approaches to working to alleviate pain. One can be on that more bodywork side, which might be focused on repair and making sure that all the body structures are working as best as they can and all the different layers of the tissues have been addressed. And then I think that there's this other element that's very much within the realm of a psychotherapeutic process, which is to alleviate pain that's partly arising because of bracing and constriction and, and the kinds of reactions that people have to life experiences that really so much get held at the body level. And I think whether it's the use of touch or otherwise, that's such a, um, an appropriate place that a somatic psychotherapeutic intervention can be helpful. Um, because really that the reaction of our physical self to life challenges is sometimes what is producing pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, both knowing the type of contact that you need, like calming contact so that you're not overstimulating the nerve endings, for example, and also helping the client to differentiate because one of the things that we know with chronic pain is that you begin to have this confusion at a neurological level where the body is sending pain signals essentially in lieu of other signals like pressure or heat that almost anything in the way of stimulation or or contact or pressure can then end up being interpreted at the brain level as pain. And I think, again, having a proficiency in in assisting the client in beginning to have really clear, refined awareness at the body level can really help to alter that miscuing that happens in chronic pain patterns. So in other words, the touch in this kind of case is not something that is going to be um, doing what, say, body work, uh, you know, typically does, but this is something about um, uh, educating the client uh, to, uh, to a different interpretation of sensations. Not only that, but I think to inhabit their body in a different way mm-hmm. so that they learn to notice their habitual responses to the world that are not serving them very well. So if you have someone, for example, uh, if they have a dynamic where they feel like a life partner, for example, does not support them very well, mm-hmm. and their habit then is to move into bracing themselves and gripping as a way to provide a sense of self-support. And that is creating a pain pattern. Having someone who's very skillful at helping them work both the dynamics that may be happening in the relationship and at the same time able to notice their habitual body responses can be so effective. 
Okay. That pain problem is arising from their response to their external environment. It's not a physical disorder, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not, there's not something wrong with their body that's causing the pain. No. The way they're using their physical self. Right, right. Contributing to it. That and, and, um, and that's something where, um, you know, where you, the touch, can help go further than uh, uh, just even body psychotherapy in general is that you have more of a contact with the body at that moment. Yes, and if you think about the therapist touch as being a tool that helps the client maintain a clear focus of their attention, mm-hmm. then it begins to make sense because if the, the therapist is proficient at differentiating between different types of tissue or different types of responses in the tissue, they can guide the client in that same direction. Mm-hmm. The client develops skillfulness at noticing their response, noticing the most subtle cues that say they're beginning to brace, yeah. perhaps then have strategies for interrupting that so that they don't go into the full-blown physical pattern. Yeah, so the, the, the picture that's emerging from this conversation is of touch as a tool for mindfulness, for, for training, uh, enhancing mindfulness. Yes. So, Cassie, as we're coming to the end of the conversation, I want to see if there's anything that you would want to add. Obviously, we, you know, this cannot be all of what you could be saying about the topic, but just to see how we can um, end this conversation. Well, it seems to me we've covered a fair number of topics here. Okay. <laughs> so I might ask you the same question. Anything that you feel curious about that we didn't get to? Uh, no, I feel very good about that concept of um, of thinking of putting uh, touch away from the realm of um, uh, the cliches about body work, but think of it as a tool for mindfulness, a tool of communication, uh, and uh, to think about all the subtleties that it can bring in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And just as another possible support for the therapeutic process that's already underway. Mm-hmm. That it's not a separate thing. It's an integrated into the overall both the treatment plan and the, the uh, agreements that the therapist has made with the client about how they're going to engage the various uh, processes and topics of interest to the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks, Kathy. You're welcome. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.